What if all you needed to get better in every way was available at the touch of a hand or the sound of a voice or even a vibration? Let's talk about how that happens, who can do it, and where to find them. I'm John Webster, and this is The Hesitant Healer. Can food heal? Let's talk about that. Greetings and welcome to another episode of The Hesitant Healer. I'm John Webster here in Redlands, California with my trusty sidekick, Lisa Kay. Hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, today, we're going to talk about food. Lisa? Yes? Hey! Hey, how's it going? You know, sometimes kids, we're, we're not on the same page and we just look at each other with blank looks on our faces. <laughs> that that happens to be one of the, uh, one of the things that's going on right now. Um, can food heal? Uh, I think it can, right? Every mother in the world would tell you that they've got a cure for the common cold and it involves food. Well, you got to steal my thunder. Oh. That's exactly where I was going. Sorry. Let me let me ask a different way. Okay. If you're sick, what's the first thing everybody tells you? Uh, chicken soup. Chicken soup. They even made a book about it because chicken soup is for your soul, right? <laughs> so not only can it heal, apparently it helps get you into heaven. That's a whole... <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. A whole podcast. different podcast, right? Things that can get... Foods that can, can get, get you, you into, into heaven. heaven. So like angel food cake. <laughs> yes. As opposed to devil's food cake. Correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. You feel me? No deviled eggs. You can't do that. That wouldn't get you there. No. But uh, menudo is one <laughs> step closer to God, I think. <laughs> Ew. Okay. Well. All right. I guess it's a Mexican thing. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about food, right? The the uh, when we talk about body parts and and emotions, we certainly talk about things like the pit of your stomach or the weight of the world on your shoulders, right? Or I have a lot on my mind, <laughs> or heart sick, heart ache, heart broken, right? Correct. Yes. Um. The same can be said with food, right? Comfort food, mm-hmm. chicken soup for the soul, right? Uh, stick to your ribs kind of food, Ooh, I mean, right? Uh, uh, and when I say that, listener, every single one of you had some kind of food that popped up into your mind, right? right. So I'm going to invite you if you're driving, if you're sitting, if you're working mindlessly doing stuff, I want you to. Uh, drivers, don't close your eyes. I want you to imagine, go back into your head, into your mind, into your way back machine. And what is that one comfort food that just makes you happy and makes your soul sing when you think about food? Lisa, what's yours? Oh, well, I have an example. Um, uh, no, no, no. I want to know what your food is. What, when okay. I say, what's the one that makes you think happy thoughts Going all the way back. That even to this day, if you have that, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> really good mashed potatoes. And who made them? Mom. So there's a, and is there an instance? Can you think of an instance where mashed potatoes were just like the bomb? Or what? what is it that's associated with mashed potatoes in you? I, I think it is, it's just very homey and... Um, uh, there's a definite uh, mom element to it. Uh, I love starch i love uh potatoes and i love uh spaghetti and i and that you know carbs are my jam so uh so so when i talk about stuff like this right right. watch watch this and i I wish you could see your face when i say this because she doesn't know it's coming what if we take those mashed potatoes that mom made and we add uh ground mushrooms to them right there's the look all right so uh, what i had in mind here was uh, specifically Thanksgiving and stuffing. Right. Oh, gosh, that's right? a huge... Everybody's got a thing, right? right? And and my ex-wife, who I have an okay relationship, was Mrs. Thanksgiving, uh-huh. and she would make uh, a pretty simple stuffing that I mm-hmm. learned to absolutely love. Right. Well, here's here's the thing, right? Watch how this spiders out and gets bigger. When you when you try different stuffings at other people's houses, it's not the same. It's not. And when they add things like fucking oysters to it, right, which is a, <laughs> a serious tradition in some families, right, especially back east, not it's huge. the same. Right. What if you add white wine to it? Different, right? What if yeah. you add a ton of butter or no butter? What if you make it in a pot as opposed to putting it and in the turkey, turkey, right? Right. 
Every single one of those changes the direction that your thought process goes, listener, when I'm talking about stuffing or when Lisa's talking about her favorite food and we added something different to it. So there's more to food, especially comfort foods and foods that we love in the realm of healing and feeling good than just the freaking food. Correct. Right? Right. Mine... Here it is, family. And I watch. If if you could put a camera on all my brothers and sisters right now, my <laughs> brothers and sister right now, every single one of them would be nodding. Grandma Molly's enchiladas. Ooh. Right? And Grandma Molly's enchiladas came with black olives. Which, oh, yeah. Which right away, well, you say that, but my wife doesn't like olives in her in her enchiladas. Oh, well. My wife my wife is known for her potato salad. Right. And I want to put black olives in the potato salad. Oh, so do I. And I, I get hit with a spoon if I even bring that shit up, right? So <laughs> we're talking about comfort foods and how they settled into our bodies. Correct. And how we uh, feel about them. Uh, what the environmental imprint was when we had these foods, what the comfort level and how they were given to us and how they made us feel good about it, right? Mm-hmm. We could go the opposite direction and talk about what negative foods, right? And mm-hmm. and, and drinks. Things um, that we really just can't. I'll, I'll say two words here and I think everybody will agree with me. <laughs> Jägermeister. Ugh. All right? Oh, See, God. everybody's had an experience with that. So there's there's foods and drinks that can get can turn negative. We want the positive ones here today, right? We're going right. to talk about comfort foods and how food makes us feel good and can food heal? I, yeah. Uh, clearly, I think we've already answered that point, right? right. But we're going to go a little bit deeper into this. So you said you had a story about comfort food. <laughs> G- give me the example. So uh, I was not feeling great yesterday uh I, oh it's an it's a uh, i want to say local it's a it, it's current current one. okay so um i purchased a can of hominy like the big white corn yeah okay and uh i don't know where she's going with this in the south um now many of you know that you you put hominy in um uh, menudo and menudo, menudo. right but in the south we uh would take hominy and the can you drain it um you get a big black frying pan there's a way to do it cast, and a way not to do iron. it you gotta put it in a cast iron skillet and lots of butter and you um drain it and then you fry it and it is uh buttery and crispy on the outside and soft on the inside so they're like and soft a, corn nuts they are like soft corn nuts oh my nuts. god i've never had that and all right. of a sudden i want some that sounds right. so good um that is a thing that um mom would do uh, and again super southern you know my parents uh texas and a uh, little midwest and all of that kind of thing and so that is the thing um and it just didn't feel i didn't feel well and it just sounded so good so yes i i did i made it for myself yesterday. so we'll give you a little teaser here because we just decided that we're going to have a little talk about this lisa k is convalescing a bit uh, and without going into too much detail she had a uh, what we thought was going to be a pretty major surgery and it turned out to not be as big a deal as we thought it would be, but it, it was still a big deal. Right. Anytime you have a surgical uh, intervention that cuts into your body, right. especially in the nether regions, <laughs> uh, it, it gets a little dicey. And so they fixed her mesh, uh, which became a problem. In the earlier episodes, we talked about Lisa's mesh. We're going to have a follow-up uh, conversation about that in a future podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's uh, recovering from that. Right. And, uh, uh, as Lisa Kay does, uh, she might have overdid it a little bit with the recovery, <laughs> thinking she was superhuman, and uh, so she's she's taken a, a couple steps back, and she's feeling better. Right. And here's a good lesson, kids: is she's comforting herself, right, with food, which right. ties us back. See how we came full circle? Look at that! And and she's she that makes her feel better, right? right? right. Now I have a. a I used to, I want to say teach cooking classes, and that's not really what I did, although I'm totally qualified to do so. But when I worked in jail, and I I may end up getting a little crass about this, follow me on this, I used to have this example, because when you have people who have never cooked before, uh, and people who did not cook on the level that I grew up with and learned how to do, 
you don't always understand what food does to you when food does to you. Now, I go back into the cooking world prior to TV, right? The only cooking shows that were on TV when I was coming through were uh, the Galloping Gourmet. Oh, I loved the Galloping Gourmet. Or or, uh, Julia Childs, right? Which I, I love Julia Childs. (laughs) And uh, everybody remembers that Dan Aykroyd skit where she cut herself and there was blood everywhere, right? Um, But there was also a, uh, a, one of the first ones I remember as a chef going through school and doing my apprenticeship was uh, Great Chefs of the West. And it had a little guitar background and they they (laughs) kind of had some, you went into the kitchens and talked to some of these chefs before there were celebrity chefs, right? Right. And when I was coming up, the, the big ones that started the movements of what you see today. Before there was a food network. Before there was a food network were Wolfgang Puck. Yes. Mark Miller, Wolfgang Puck had uh, Spago. Right. And uh, Mark Miller had Coyote Cafe. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeremiah Tire had, Jeremiah Towers had, um, I want to say Stars. I don't remember what his was. He was in San Francisco. And uh, it wasn't Elephant Bar, was no, it? No, 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 no. And then there were, uh, who were some of the other big celebrity chefs? Uh, Big names and they were culinary guys. It eludes me well, because it's been so um, long. Uh, the guy from New Orleans. What was his? Oh name? yeah, 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 yeah. Bam, bam. Uh, 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 Emerald. 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 Yeah, Emerald. Is it Emerald? La- Lagasse. Lagasse. Okay. Yeah. And he he was and Paul Prudhomme, both right. both from New Orleans, right? right? Right, right. And so what happened in that time frame? We're talking late eighties, early nineties. Is food got elevated? Uh, from the way we we learned it in the seventies, which was peas and carrots and jellos and and uh, starch, vegetable, uh, protein. protein, right? Chicken, beef, or fish. And they started uh, these chefs started going places. Mark Miller was real famous for going to South America and living in indigenous uh, areas and learning cultural things, and then bringing those foods. And those cultures back in and fusing them. Wolfgang Puck took uh, a lot of Eastern stuff and fused it with French stuff. He grew Mm -hmm. up Belgian, right? Mm -hmm. Jeremiah Tower did a lot of uh, high-level French cooking and fused it with American. Because there really, Mm -hmm. there is no such thing as American food. Correct. Right? We're a a melting pot. We're a melting pot in the wretched refuge, right? (laughs) Here's proof. Feel his nose. It's it's cold. (laughs) That's a reference from Stripes, Bill Murray. Um, So in learning about all this, where was I going with this? In learning about all this, uh, you find that food has its basic tenets from a cultural perspective. Right. What I what I learned, I remember learning that every single culture has a tortilla. True. Right? Yes. Right. Everybody's got a bread, and it's some kind of bread, and it is it is a basic tenet of that culture's food source. Right. Bread is a thing you can live on. While I'm talking about living on foods, there are perfect foods out there. We're coming back to the perfect bite. Right. And oh, I remember where we were going. Uh, when we're teaching people about how to do this, you want to get them invested and interested in why food is interesting, why food is exciting, right? If you grew up with peanut butter, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches mm. and KMC, Kraft macaroni and cheese, and uh, and uh, just a basic uh, McDonald's hamburger, you're not going to understand why that stuff is so good, but they do. Right. Don't get me started on the whole snack industry. Did you know? Did you know? And then I'll get back to my point. I promise. Did you know? <laughs> I think it was Cheez-Its. I, I recently heard this about. There's an entire scientific community developed just for crunch. Yes. Right. Right. Like your brain does a thing when you get a specific crunch. Correct. That craves it. And right. if there's a flavor associated with that it craves it even more and if there's a smell it craves Craves it even even more more. and so snack foods are designed to capture you so that you come back and eat it again and again and again correct and if they can get that crunch and that salty and that or that sweet and And that that just right amount of fat then then they got you right right mcdonald's fries 
Oh. Have sugar in them. What? Bet, bet you didn't know that. I did not know McDonald's that. McDonald's fries have sugar in them. You want to know why you crave McDonald's fries? It's not the fucking beef fat. They got sugar in them. Wow. All right. So back to my point. When I'm teaching people how to cook and why cooking is important, I go to spaghetti sauce. Because you, spaghetti sauce. you the listener, can do this at home. And I invite you to try it. We're going to go through the recipe of spaghetti sauce. All right. So you start with a mirepoix. A mirepoix, and if you watch any kind of food channel, you should already know what this is, but it means uh, uh, there's a mise en place, which is you put all your mess in place and you put all your things together, and a mirepoix is a traditional uh, carrot, celery, onion. It's the basis of most of the mother sauces, and in the basis of the mother sauces, you get this vegetable concoction that can either be diced or sliced, well, not sliced, diced or, it's always or diced, ground. It? Yeah, but there's different sizes of dice. Right, and I, right, won't, right. I won't get into cuts. That's a little too deep. But okay. you, you get finely diced or uh, ground up carrot, celery, and onion in right. equal proportions, right? right? So understand that when you're cooking, you want the pot on a higher heat. You want to get a little bit of olive oil in there, but you also want butter. You need a fat, right? Fat is going to coat the outside of these vegetables so that they sear. And by searing the vegetables, you've created its own little consistent pot so that the vegetable can cook from the outside in. This is the whole purpose of heat. The thermodynamics of the application of heat dictate what heat does to food when it cooks and how it cooks. So there's different consistencies. The reason you cut them smaller is so that they can cook together uh, at an equal rate. So onions have more water and sugar, and carrots have more sugar, but they're harder, and celery's right in the middle. So when you put all these things together, and you heat your oil up, and you get it hot enough, and then you drop and get the sizzle, you're cooking everything at an equilateral rate. By cooking at an equilateral rate, it ensures that it's going to consistently develop and process and exude flavor out into the thing that you're going to cook it with as it continues to go on. So we have our mirepoix, right? You don't put too much olive oil in there because olive oil has a what's called a smoking point. Different oils have higher smoking points, and olive oil is one of the lowest smoking points. And if you're going to use butter, it's always better if you have clarified butter, which is uh, you've taken all the uh, whey out so that it has a higher smoking point because it's the whey, the cream, the milky part of the butter that burns, right? Hmm. So now we have our mirepoix and it's sizzling, right? We let that sizzle a little bit until the onions get clear and the carrots are softened. And then we're going to add a little bit of garlic. Garlic's going to give us some flavor, right? Now, if you have dry spices, you want to add them now because dry spices have created through oxygen. They've dried out the oils on the outside of these leaves and uh, they need to be released. So if you're going to add dry spices into this, you want to do it now because the oil is going to reconstitute the spices And you're going to release the aromatics. That means you can smell these flavors and these aromatic spices. They don't necessarily have taste as much as they have smell, which is important and going to come in handy later. Right. So we add our dry spices. If you have fresh spices, you don't add them till the end because they're already fresh. Yeah. So now we add our aromatics. Can you already smell this, Lise? I can. I can. So we got a pot. We got some cooking. We got some stuff going on. It is here that you're also going to add red wine. Now, this is bitter and this is vinegar. Now e. you're talking my kind of now language. Now I'm talking right? your language, right? You add the red wine so the red wine can what? Uh, well, first of all, it's going to lose its alcohol content it's when gonna, you heat it up. It's going to evaporate. That's right. right. That's all I wanted from you right there. Stay okay. right there. Hold that thought. Okay. It's going to evaporate. Uh, what we're doing is we're cooking down the sugars. Mm-hmm. And we're releasing more of the aromatics of the grapes that have been fermented. There's a flavor there. Mm-hmm. There's an absolute flavor. You get both. You get the aromatic of the wine, but you also get the flavor. Okay. And it's going to be bitter. It's an acid. Right. So you've added an acid to some other acids, 
and there's some sugars in there too. And some fat. Right? It's important to bring up at this point, what we're doing here is playing with your brain, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your tongue, right? You have taste buds. Everybody knows what a taste bud is. And if you ever saw one up close, look it up on the internet. It's a goofy looking thing on your tongue, <laughs> right? But on your tongue, there are different flavor sensors that get picked up and are directly hardwired to your brain. There's sweet, there's salty, there's sour, there's bitter. And the last one they've come to call umami. And we'll talk a little bit about all of those. But Lisa, do you know where sweet is on your tongue? Do you know where the first part is on your tongue? Where it is? Oh, I used to know this. Um, <clears throat> is it right in the front? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Y'all want to know why you're addicted to sugar? Because it's the first thing, thing that you taste. Yeah. And it's the first thing that goes to your brain. And we're wired at an early age, unless you have a really healthy mother, to have that and to associate it with uh, a synaptic... Uh, power surge right. that makes your brain excited and happy and happy yes. sugar makes you happy it later does. it will kill you but early <laughs> yeah. on it just you just know it's good right right and when you're when you're one to five one to six in the precognitive years we don't have the ability to uh, orchestrate or speak or articulate our thoughts through verbal cues we can't speak we can make noise a baby cries and you can hear a baby's cry in different different parts of how the baby cries and what he wants or what she wants but when it comes to flavors mm -hmm. basically the first word you're going to get is mmm very true right num 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 That's you, yeah one. you get that sugar and your brain goes num 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 right so we're back to spaghetti sauce right All right uh and and Real quick, salt and sour, uh, I think as we go back, it's salt, then sour, then bitter, and, and umami is a total flavory sensation, right? So uh, salt is the next thing there that hits your tongue. That's why salt becomes so important to us too, right? So back to spaghetti sauce with the wine and the, uh, and the bitter, and the acid and that is binding with the vegetables that we've put in there mm -hmm. and binding with the herbs that we've put in there mm -hmm. well now it's time for tomatoes right okay and i was taught that uh, there's three different types of tomato you want to put in here the first is crushed uh you can crush them yourself or you can get a can but you want crushed tomatoes now crushed tomatoes are usually uh simmered they've been cooked they've been boiled and then they've been uh processed or or ground so that most of the seeds and skins are out and it's just good crushed tomatoes okay then you want diced or uh some pulpy tomatoes right mm -hmm. preferably canned or not canned you can use canned or you can use i mean i've done both right mm -hmm. a couple three four years ago we had a really 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 good tomato crop in our backyard and we had so many tomatoes we didn't know what to do with and i made freaking spaghetti sauce right? <laughs> um let me back up one okay because I, i'm going to change the sauce a little bit and I'll, I'll go to my mother's sauce which is why i'm doing this uh -huh. before you add the tomatoes if you're going to put meat in the sauce yes now is the time to do it after you add the wine okay you're going to put meat in and if you're going to go meat i like italian sausage uh -huh. and a little bit of ground beef right right and you want it in chunks and so not all finely broken let, apart. I, I want it in chunks. Let's okay. say that. Cause if I go to a restaurant and ask for bolognese, I'm going to get ground beef. That's already like ground, ground, ground to little pebbles and whatnot. Right. I don't necessarily like that. I like some chunky sauce. Right. right. So we're going to, we're going to put the meat in and that's going to add a savory to the acid, to the sweet, to the, to the herbs that we already have in there. Right. right? So there's a different flavor profile, and depending on the sausage you put in, there might be a little bit of heat mm -hmm. to the hamburger. You get more fat, certainly. So we've added right. more fat, so that adds to the olive oil and to the butter that we would have put in or whatever's fat we put in. Right. And so now you have more sizzling, more cooking, a higher fat percentage, and you let that cook in, and you don't render it off, right? You let the fat 
absorb uh, into the vegetables. Well, you let the vegetables absorb into the fat. Okay. And then once you get about three quarters cooked, then you're adding the tomatoes. So we're going to go the crushed tomatoes, and then we're going to go the, the diced tomatoes. And then you're going to add tomato paste. Mm. Now, tomato paste, it's not necessarily for flavor, although it is a thickened, dried out form of the tomatoes that we've already put in. Correct. It's It's heightened. Right? right, it's like a Tide Pod. It's like concentrated. It's concentrated tomatoes, right? So it's a heightened flavor profile. But here's another thing: it does. Uh-huh. It's a thickening agent, right? Because right? it's very thick, and and one of the reasons, actually, I don't like tomato paste is it's very it's it for me it's difficult to work with. But that's it's a thickening agent. Right. And I I did a, a thing in school when I was when I was doing my apprenticeship where we had to we sat in a fucking room for like an hour. In fact, it was an overnight homework project. To write down how many thickening agents you can come up with. Ooh. Go. How many do you know right now? Right <laughs> off the top of your head. Uh, flour. One. Uh, Cornstarch. Two. Uh, See? Everybody gets stuck there, right? I, honestly, you know what? I, I get, Arrowroot. Arrowroot would be a good one. Um, pumpkin. Oh, pumpkin. Zucchini. Uh, okay. Here's the thing. Anything could be a thickening agent. Really? Right. Okay. You ever hear that thing? Everything's a dildo if you're brave enough. It's it's <laughs> anything can be a thickening agent if you know how to use it correctly. Okay. Right. So All right. so so literally, you could come in with pages of thickening agents. In this case, tomato paste is a thickening agent. Now you're not going to put so much tomato paste in there that it's going to be the thickening agent. Okay. But. It's certainly one of the thickening agents. And here's one of the keys to great cooking. Mm-hmm. Alternative salts, alternative sugars, alternative thickening agents right. make alternative. Uh, never put water in a soup or a sauce, right? Never, right. never. You should always have a flavored agent in there. Right. So this is the same thing, right? So this is one of your thickening agents. You put all that in there and you stir, right? Now we're stirring... All of the vegetables, mm-hmm. all of the wine, all of the meat, all of the tomatoes, and we're stirring them together, mm-hmm. right? It's here that I would have the students take a spoon and dip the spoon in and, and taste. taste it. And what do you think that tastes like? In your head right now, now that you're thinking, what's that taste like? Uh, it doesn't taste finished. Okay. G- give me a better example. Uh, it- Stick that spoon in and put it in your mouth. What's the first thing you taste? Uh, usually salt because that's one we of haven't my put salt. Tastes. We haven't put salt in there yet. Okay. Tomato. Tomato is what? It's the very first thing I taste. What is tomato? Well, tomato is sweet. No. No? No. Savory? Tomato acid. Acid. Tomato is an acid and it's bitter. Okay. Now, there are sugars in tomatoes, but... there It's an acid, right? So now we've added an acid to an acid... Right. right, we have meat in there that's bitter because mm-hmm. we haven't added salt to the meat yet. Right, mm-hmm. the sausage had a little bit. You've got whatever was in the sausage, so you've got ground up meat, and we've got all the bitter oils from the herbs as well. Oh, okay. Right, so the first thing you should taste when you dip this spoon in this concoction at this point is bitter. Okay. Right, and uh, you got me now. Right, I can see you, I can see yeah. your brain thinking about that. Right, it's right. bitter, and everybody's like, "Well, that's not spaghetti sauce." Correct. Right? Not yet. So this is just when you put all this stuff, maybe even when you bring it to a first boil or bring it up and you turn the heat down and we're going to simmer now, right? So here's the trick to this. Now we're going to play with your brain and it's going to take a little bit of time. We're going to let that simmer for a good hour or two or three. Just like that. And it's going to pull out all the flavoring agents of all the things that we've put in there. And a cool chemical thing is going to happen. Okay. They're going to marry Right, uh-huh. they're gonna bind right. the 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 cell structure structures of each individual product is going to burst open and allow those flavor agents to bind with other and become different flavor agents so that they they unite right. And when you get to this point, you might even be able to detect if you have a finer palate as we've boiled through here for the next hour or two. You might be able to detect the wine. On part of your tongue. You mm-hmm. might be able to detect... Uh, the garlic. The garlic or the umami, which is going to be part of the meat flavor. Mm-hmm. But they're all going to be separate entities, right? Mm-hmm. The overwhelming entity is going to be 
the tomato and right. the and the the acid, right? The bitter. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to add a little bit of stock. Again, never add water to a sauce, okay. right? So the stock you want to be part of whatever it is you're making. In this case, because we've added t- the tomatoes and there's a lot of liquid in tomatoes, we've already kind of added some tomato quote unquote sauce. Right. And that's what the 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 bulk of your liquid is going to be in this sauce. Right. Well, now we want to add something that's going to give it some hearty flavor. And I would always suggest a, a beef stock, right? So you're right. going to add something that's going to enhance the flavor and bind the flavors that you already have in there. Right. And so what we want to do is add a, a hearty beef stock. Now, if you've made it from scratch, uh, that's kind of a whole different thing. I, right. I won't go into that because that's two days worth of work, if not three. <laughs> but, I mean, we, we you use a powder. I have some stuff that uh, um, comes in a jar that's, that's thick. Right. Um, but there's some salt in there. They've made their own concoction. And so if you're using a, a beef stock and you've mixed it and you've put it in, it's going to taste salty. It's going to taste beefy. It's going to taste salty. So here is some of your salt. Right. Right. We're going to put that in and it's going to thin our sauce out a little bit. And that's what we want. We want more volume because we're going to cook it down. Okay. Right. So we're stirring again and we've thinned it out. And now another magical chemical thing is going to happen here. We're going to boil that for another half hour to an hour. We're going to turn that and let it simmer for an hour. And we're going to taste it again. I want. I, I can see it in your eyes. Take your spoon, dip that. Not the same one because that's dirty. New spoon, <laughs> put it in there, taste it. What are we tasting? Um, well, it's, it's going to be a more mature taste you're so hesitant but you're right on the edge of correct here you're, you're absolutely right well i don't want to why, sound stupid why why would it be more a more mature taste well because the the flavors have married there you go and we've bound more of the flavors together and here's here's the magical ingredient that we just added besides more beef flavor we added salt right and so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump to the end and then come back salt is the re the reason it's been around since the dawn of time is because it marries every single flavor in your mouth. So you've added salt mm-hmm. at, a, at a lower level, mm-hmm. and that salt has bound with all those chemicals and all those cell structures that we've already talked about, and it worked its way into every single one of them, and it invited everybody to kind of work together. But because of the chemical structure of the things that you have, and we have a high acid content, it doesn't quite marry them together yet. Okay. So what you're going to taste is the acid of the wine Mm -hmm. and the acid of the tomato, and you're going to get some beef flavor, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit different, and your brain knows beef with salt. So it Mm -hmm. ties the salt to the beef, and then you're going to get the vegetables and herbs and each one of those is a different flavor profile. So when you taste this, you close your eyes and you coat the spoon and you put it on the back of your tongue and you let it sit there, mm-hmm. you're going to get a little bit of sweet, a little bit of bitter, a little bit of acid, hmm. a little bit of umami, right? and you're going to taste them all separately. Oh, Right. Okay. If you if you stop the process, your, you... your tongue is going to process each one of those separately, okay. right? So now we're going to boil down and boil down and we're going to we're going to release it and and let the flavors marry some more. And then we're going to add sugar. Uh, see, I I have never ever ever in my entire life added sugar to my spaghetti and, sauce. And I will tell you that at 60, cuz that's how old you are, <laughs> for 60 years your tomato sauce has sucked. <laughs> right? Okay, okay. All right. Sugar is a binding agent in this case, right? Okay. And it binds. It's going to draw it all together. Kind of. Okay. It's going to draw certain things together. It's going to take the acid of the tomato and bind with the sugar of the tomato, and it's going to marry the flavor so that you get a more hearty tomato flavor because okay. sugar is already in tomatoes. Right. It's going to take the onion and the carrots, right. and it's going to bind those with the other vegetable in there, which is the tomato. Right. So you're going to bind five different things all into one, which is going to enter into your tongue as a single profile. Okay. It's not going to bind with the meat, and it's not going to bind 
with the with the acids of the herbs. Okay. It, it's it's oil and vinegar. Okay. Right? Doesn't bind. But with the addition of sugar binding the flavor chemical, when you stir, when you boil down again, when you take a new spoon and dip it in and put it in your mouth, you're going to get two flavors. You're going to get tomato uh-huh. and you're going to get meat. Okay. Because the sugar is also bound with the wine. Because that was, that was a fl- fifth flavor. So it's all drawn in together by the, this one the, thing. All those molecules that were floating around that were different flavor profiles on your tongue right. were all separate entities until you added sugar. Sugar became the binding agent for all of them. And if you add the right amount, it just binds them together to a single flavor. Right. Right. Once you do that, break it all down, taste that, and you taste the bitter and the sugar, or the bitter and the single flavor of the tomato profile, that's when you add salt. Okay. And you add salt a little bit at a time. Right, 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 right. And a little bit at a time, and a little bit at a time. And salt becomes the binding agent for everybody. Okay. And when salt becomes the binding agent for everybody, and you boil that sauce down to a specific thickness... Right? Right. And if you want to add a little bit of roux, we're going to sidebar here, people, and talk about roux. R-O-U-X. Roux is one of the main flavor binding agents or one of the main binding agents for all sauces, right? Roux is a fat and flour. And you can make it with other things besides flour, but for this purpose, we're talking about uh, fat and flour. It does not always have to be butter. It can be oil. It can be olive oil. It can be any kind of oil. But again, the the most prominent one is uh, a clarified butter. You heat it up pretty hot. You add flour. You turn the heat down and you cook it. And what this does is release the gluten from the flour. It opens it up like a flour and it blooms and it captures the essence of the binding agents in flour, the gluten, right? Right. And so by the the heat, we do the same thing with the heat. Again, thermodynamics of the application of heat, by binding the molecule of flour in with the fat of the butter which coats it, it cooks from the outside in and it blooms, releasing the uh, gluten, but it holds it in state until you add a liquid which binds it, or until you add it to a liquid with heat, which binds to it and opens it up and releases the gluten in a finer dose so that it can bind with the water molecules and whatever you add it to with the addition of heat, it then binds it all together and thickens it, right? Got it. I'm dropping knowledge on you, son. (laughs) This is how cooking works, okay? So... We've added a little bit of roux. We've thickened it up. We've got the flavor. We add salt a little bit. And when you're done, when it's a perfect sauce, when it fucking works, when grandma's sauce is there, right? Now take the new spoon, dip the spoon in, close your eyes, take that spoon and drop it on your tongue and something magical happens, right? Something magical happens. And? All five taste buds fire at the the same same time time. and your brain becomes overloaded. Now, for the inmates, I used to equate this to a sexual thing, right? And I I probably shouldn't do it on this podcast. But but let let, let me just say, if there's just missionary position, you're going to get one dose of things. But if there's multiple toys and people in the room, your brain's going to fire off in a different way. Okay. Our brains are wired to be excited by multiple ports of entry, right? Mm -hmm. And so with food, when you talk about, when they talk about on, on the cooking channel, a perfect bite, what you're talking about is something that lands on your tongue and fires all five flavor profiles at once. Okay. And everybody's kind of had this at one point, whether they know it or not, to recognize it and understand it at the level that that great chefs do right. is what keeps them in business and what, what most people don't understand. Right. Right. And this is why restaurants work and this is why great chefs work. When you understand that 
at the level that I did at the time, then you start cooking an entirely different way because you can understand not only the thermodynamics of the application of heat, but why food and comfort food makes sense, right? Got it. Now, was my grandma a, a professional chef? No. Was your grandma a professional chef? Well, actually, my grandma was what? a professional Wait, chef. Wait, what? There's a newsflash here. Holy shit. She was. Okay. Well, then let, let me take that off the table. But most, <laughs> most grandmas were not professional chefs. But their food certainly lit up your world, right? It did. And so now you have a little bit of an idea of, of how and why that worked, right? right? It's not necessarily that all five flavor profiles lit up. Mm-hmm. So there must have been a different environmental imprint here, right? For sure. So I was with my grandma and I felt safe. I was with my family right. and I felt safe. We I were, felt loved. We I felt, felt comforted. Right. We were in an environment that felt good. Right. And that is not certainly everybody's... I mean, lots of people didn't have great home lives and that's not the case, but everybody's got a food that makes sense to them. Right? Sure. That has some kind of emotional component. Right. Here's another cool, well, I don't know if it's cool. Here's another thing that, that I've learned along the way. I worked with a guy who uh, ran a, a, well, now it's a National Adolescent Eating Disorder Clinic. He worked with people who had uh, eating disorders eating disorders, and, and were hurting themselves with food or the absence of food and all the things that go with it. And we were having a conversation one time about addiction, and he says, you know, John, food is the first addiction. Yeah, Right, oh, and yeah. you think about that because you know, as an alcoholic, I can quit alcohol and I'm going to live. Right, right. Can't quit food. Right. So if you got an eating disorder, you got to work with the thing that's killing you. Correct. Right. So you have I, to learn to control the thing that's killing you. An, an interesting proposition for sure, and 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 uh, a dicey one at some point. And and mm-hmm. the, there's a whole reason there's professionals out there for that. Right. Right. Um. So there's a lot to be said for. Comfort foods. There's a lot to be said for foods that make a lot of sense. Um, I think you you had a good point right. about uh, childhood, right? So if we look at babies, you know, we we are all formed in a womb, and uh, the ex- I, I, don't get me started on mother's milk versus formula, Lisa. Oh, no, that is not where I'm going with. But this. you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. Okay, I do. Breastfeed your kids. Um. If you can, if possible. All right. Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah. So um, we have five senses. The two that are deeply, the most deeply ingrained inside of us are smell and taste, which are very connected. Um, we have just gone through a, uh, a uh, pandemic where a lot of people lost their sense of smell. When you Ooh, can't, good point. When you can't smell, you or, can't taste. Or taste. Right. Yeah. Right. So those two are uh, inextricably uh, bound together. Now let's look at a baby is developing inside the womb. They're going to get some touch, right? They, they do. They feel, they, they kick, they uh, move around. They, they get uh, some feedback from their, their touch. They do hear. It's kind of like hearing through a... Uh, right, right. Or exa- boom, boom. Exactly. Wait, I'll do this. There you go. So that's those two, but the very first two are smell and taste. So um, inside the womb. Inside the womb. So uh, your brain's olfactory um, smell center forms really, really, really early as you're developing. In fact, studies have shown that right after birth. Uh, baby nurses the first time with mom, it can tell the difference between the smell of mom's breast milk and someone else's breast milk in the first day, in the very first hour. Absolutely. Right. So the other thing is, did you know babies can taste in the womb? Maybe. Yeah. So mom... uh, Moms have cravings when they're pregnant. Oh, yeah. Right? Pickles. Pickles um, uh, tend to be a really strong kind of a taste that we crave as as pregnant women. My very first one, uh, lemon meringue pie without the meringue on it. I just wanted the lemon stuff. Yeah, I did. Um, The other two were more, uh, 
well, uh, honestly, it was zucchini cooked in tomatoes. We used to call it havlasita. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, babies can taste in the womb. When you're going to sell your house, what does a realtor tell you to do? Bake cookies. Right. Bake cookies or bread because people are going to walk. Onions. onions. Grill onions. Um, you know what? They say not onions because not everybody likes onions. Okay. So Cookies it is. You walk into a house. And uh, the realtor is selling you an entire experience that you want to feel like this is your home, all in capital letters, bacon cookies, takes you all the way back to when you were a little kid and mom or grandma was making cookies and oh my gosh, that whole home experience. You know, if I was a realtor, I would bake cookies and then I'd like rub their tummy afterwards. (laughs) Which is probably why I'm not a realtor. (laughs) Probably a good thing. So those are things that are down deep, the very, very first things. So uh, have you ever had the experience where you walk into a house or you walk into a restaurant or, uh, here's a good one, uh, we met at Disneyland. What do they do? Oh, yes. What do they do at Disneyland on, on Main Street? They pipe the kitchen smells of the bakery yes. out into Main Street, USA. Right. As you're walking down Main Street, you're taking in all of that beautiful stuff with your eyes, and then you get a smell. You smell of cookies and bread because right. they have they have taken the exhaust system and piped it right out into the street from right. the kitchen. Genius, right? Genius. Walt Disney was a genius. Yeah. He really was. So here's the thing. The, the thing that we are most wired to do is to... Uh, smell and taste. So if we are sick, if we are sad, if we are, uh, you know, the, the, the word for missing home is homesick, literally, yep. right? Melancholy, rainy day. Right, exactly. We want that guttural, uh, early, early, early sensory experience to make us feel better. You know, they call the gut the second brain, right? Correct. And there's been a lot of research in the last 15 years over that. And and there is a lot to be said about what we put in our guts and how we feel and exactly. how our brain feels and how your gut goes so your brain goes a lot of Correct. times. Correct. Very true. Very true. But those are the things that as a child that we have learned that's going to make me feel better. So can food heal? Yeah, it, it really can. Um, I think... There's uh, a preponderance of evidence that says absolutely yes. Absolutely yes, right. Yep, agreed. Um, it, it is the thing that, uh, like you said, we have to eat. We, we, we feel hunger. Uh, it's the thing that we need to do. And when we find ourselves in a state of lacking, of some sort of emotional... Uh, food is certainly an element that uh, can heal us. There's also the whole aspect of cooking. Right. Right. What goes with the cooking? Because it wasn't just Grandma Molly's uh, enchiladas. No. It was It was the experience the of experience. being in the kitchen while she was piddling around, right. laying tortillas and adding sauce and layering things and mm-hmm. the community of everybody helping. Look Correct. at Look at the Mexican community at Christmas with the tamales. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the freaking tamales. It's, no. the, it's the family getting together doing something, right? It's right. a traditional thing. Right. In the South, it's barbecuing, right? Right, right. You, you, put, you put that thing on and you sit there and you cook all day with that, right? Right, right. And so um, th- there's, it's not just food; it's the experience of food, right? Right. right. And al- although uh, I would never say no to McDonald's, I certainly don't live <laughs> off of it, right? And 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 please don't McDonald's shame us, please. <laughs> Look, I, I drink a diet coke, right? I'm well aware of what it does with with uh, the alternative sugars and all the things that go with that. We talked a little bit about that last time with uh, with Killian and the and the. Uh, YL and OL of alternative sugars and what they can do to your body and and uh, yet I'll still pop a Diet Coke every once in a while. Sure. However, um, you want to be good about it, right? You right. always want to go back to your to your homie. Like a lot of the comfort food is is fat oh, and for sure. buttery and sugary, and you know, I mean, right. you want to limit it too. But um, in this day and age, with the the pyramid that we grew up with is now upside down and in this day and age you want to go back to your comfort foods and just maybe re-envision them and and mm-hmm. eat a little bit healthier and 
understand that nobody gets out of this thing alive. <laughs> That's a very good right? point. That's so a eat, very eat, good point. Eat the food, eat the butter, limit, right. don't kill yourself, but enjoy it, right? Right. Next time you have something that feels like a perfect bite, stop, take a breath, take the bite, put it in your mouth, and just savor it. Close your eyes to the outside uh, environment and just savor that thing that's on the inside, firing your brain up and feel it, right? Next time you have a little bit of soup when you don't feel good, enjoy that soup, right? Let it serve your soul. Let it attach with the memories and the emotions that go with it so that you can heal from the inside with the aid and help of comfort and food. Yeah? yeah, I agree. I think it's a good place to stop. I think it is. That was a good one. That was interesting. Yeah, I like that's been on my mind for a while, and I'm glad you listened to me and you talked you talked with me about that. <laughs> all right, kids, uh, that's all we got today. I appreciate you listening. Uh, we have a dissection class coming up in October. Please, if you're interested or you know anybody that's interested, uh, feel free to contact us. Um, I am now teaching classes. If you're a massage therapist or a body worker, I'm teaching visceral classes, visceral manipulation and talking about the guts and the internal workings and how to process those and ma manually manipulate those here in Redlands, California. Uh, we're charging... Uh, we're charging $25 a class. 25 bucks a you class. You get continuing education hours. I can give you CEUs. It's uh. here at the shop. Uh, we have a place to do it. Um, we also have... What else we got going on? Uh, oh, well, we have a yoga room. We have a new yoga room. And we'll, it's been put up clandestinely and we're about to announce it. But we now have a yoga room. that It's a small one. We can do six people. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe eight if we're pushing it. And uh, so we, uh, we've we expanded a little bit to more uh, movement and holistic healing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're still pushing the idea around of a healer's retreat and would love some feedback on that. You as a lay person would get a variety of healers in one weekend to work on you and do things like uh, yoga or uh, singing, bowls. singing bowls or have me or another practitioner work on you, see the difference between cranial sacral therapy and, and medical massage, uh, some outdoor hikes. Uh, we're even talking about maybe learning about mushrooms and, and uh, uh, microdosing. So all those things are on board as well. You can contact us at... Well, you can either text, call, or WhatsApp us at 1-909-557-4415. You can reach out to us through Instagram at The Hesitant Healer. We have a email address, thehesitanthealer at gmail.com. Uh, all of those, uh, reach out. And, you know, even if you want to uh, contact us and say, hey, I would really like to learn about whatever, um, give us some ideas or give us some feedback. We're, we're really uh, anxious to hear what you think about what we're saying. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We're going to be in, uh, in Phoenix in, uh, in next month August. in August for the AMTA com convention, which is the American Massage Therapist Association. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the sister or the other one that people join in is the AMBPA, that's American Massage and Body Practitioners Association. Um, so this is a national convention. We'll be there uh, promoting the uh, this uh, podcast and also our uh, dissection class. So Correct. if you are a practitioner that uh, has heard about us and are going to be at that convention, we'd love to meet you as well. Right. So uh, okay. other than that, I want you to have a good day. I want you to be good humans, and I want you to eat some good food today. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.